0: Hey, what's up? Welcome back to Surf Splendor. This is your host, David Scales. This week's guest is unflinching big wave surfer, champion, spear fisherman, and part time Hollywood stuntman Mark Healy. Among his many accomplishments, I know him best, actually, just for going left at giant right-handers like Mavericks, Waimea, Jaws. There's some actually really great footage. Um, Mark's kind of partnered with GoPro, so there's great footage of him going left at Mavericks and then getting sucked over the falls on another wave. I'll post all of that, of course, on surfsplendorpodcast.com, but it's a heavy wave to go left at, and of course, so is Waimea. Um, So, in addition to those things, Mark is a perennial invitee, actually, to the Quicksilver In Memory of Eddie Aikau contest at Waimea Bay. He's the winner of the 2010 Toto Santos Big Wave event. He also won the 2009 Billabong XXL Monster Tube Award for getting shacked at a kind of lesser-known organ wave known as the Yeti. In addition to those big wave exploits, in 2008, Mark won the World Cup of Spearfishing in La Paz, Mexico, and he recently launched a business called Healy Water Ops, where he basically facilitates extreme ocean experiences, one-of-a-kind, once-in-a-lifetime experiences for anyone who wants a world-class experience with the world's best athletes. Mark will facilitate that based on... His vast ocean knowledge. And I mean, he's kind of in a class of his own in a lot of different realms. So we get into that a little bit in this show. And then we kind of gloss over a couple of other just really interesting facets of Mark's personality and life. Um, One of which is that he's an avid bow hunter, hunts and gathers a lot of his own food. So really interesting, dude. You can follow him on Instagram at Healy Water Ops and at com, I'll have links to those things as well as photos and videos of Mark and everything that we discuss in this show on SurfSplendorPodcast.com. I found him to be very forthcoming, affable, astute, and very well-spoken. I really, really enjoyed chatting with Mark, and I appreciated his insights into a lot of the aspects of professional surfing that Scott and I speculate on Regularly on this show. So I'm really pleased to be able to bring you this episode. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Mark Healy. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Enjoy. That I don't even know where it was, it was in some video interview that you did about one of your most memorable ocean experiences being. Mm riding a great white shark holding the dorsal fin and maybe the first time that you've done it maybe you've done it more than once now Mm -hmm. but there's also YouTube footage of you stiff arming a tiger shark Mm -hmm. and um, you know that like even swimming with sharks sounds crazy to most people Mm -hmm. tell me what we don't know about sharks what do you know about them that we don't and enlighten us why why aren't you afraid of sharks?
1: well I'd say um I'm. I um. I wouldn't say I'm not afraid of sharks under you know the right circumstances. The same way you saying I'm not afraid of humans. You should be afraid of humans sometimes. Yeah, (laughs) it depends on the situation. Um, but it's just really based on a foundation of experience. Okay. So I've been in the water with sharks. Showing up since a young age Probably like 12 years old Just from spearfishing So that naturally happens So basically when you're spearfishing You're creating a lot of times Like the perfect storm or scenario For sharks to show up You're very quiet in the water Um, You're not making a lot of like Intimidating noises You're trying to be smooth Um, And you're also spearing fish And it's creating that like That dinner bell going off And there's blood in the water and usually places that are rich with fish are rich with sharks as well. So it's kind of like this perfect scenario to <laughs> inadvertently attract sharks. And uh, and you kind of get a skill set and a knowledge base of dealing with like real wild sharks. Yeah. Not ones that are just fed at a feeding site all the time that are a little more accustomed to, to humans. Um And in a lot of situations, you know, in my early days when I first ran into him, you you don't really have a choice but to kind of deal with the situation instead of just jumping out of the boat and being like, oh, my God, it would have bit me if it came back around. You're like, oh, my God, it's going to bite me. and then But I got to deal with it. And then you realize, like, no, it's not going to bite me. You're kind of forced to stay longer than you might want to should you have an out. So it shows you, um, oh, okay, maybe I'm overreacting to this. And, uh, you know, that just taking that knowledge base and learning as I gain more and more experience, I kind of, it's given me a realistic view on, um, shark behavior and, uh, most of the population doesn't, hasn't had the chance or hasn't had the desire to go and do that. So my fear threshold with sharks is obviously going to be pretty different than the average person.
0: What is a realistic, Fear to have of sharks
1: Uh, A realistic fear Is like you know if you're Say surfing In South Australia uh, Outside of seal colony and it's Pretty much any time of day Like you have Odds of getting hit by a shark there's certain Places you know if you're around seal colonies In places that you just know that There's Mm -hmm. large population Of great white sharks during a season When they're coming in for seal pups or Whatever there's There's certain risks that I don't feel are validated to take on a personal level. Sure.
0: Um, But is it safe to say that, like, the realistic fear is that they are um, hunting uh, seals or whatever their natural animal is, and you being there Mm
1: -hmm. in that
0: colony is a mistake on your part? But if you're.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In your time and place, you can get unlucky. I mean, the same way you know, you drive on a freeway. Yeah, you're you you should be much much more afraid driving on the four hundred five. Right, much more.
0: Yeah, totally. I think your odds are a lot worse there. Tell me about some of the work that you do with marine biologists. Um,
1: so that has kind of spawned out of uh, working with sharks, um, just in in different film projects and actually volunteering just to kind of be safety for. Some film projects. Oh, okay. And, you know, I started meeting people from the scientific community. And, uh, you know, even working with GoPro on some of the shark projects, I kind of like naturally, I never set out for it. But it just <laughs> kind of ended up happening that I people would kind of come to me with projects. And um, so I think it's super cool. I always wanted to be a marine biologist. Oh, really? Like I wasn't one of those kids when I was little that was like... I'm going to be a pro surfer. Yeah. Like, I, that, it didn't seem realistic to me, and sure. I was very interested in marine biology. Um, I always did well in school, but being that I was born and raised on the North Shore, the opportunity came to me. Right. Like, if I wasn't in the, growing up in the spotlight of surfing, I don't think it would have went that direction for me. Yeah. I would have kept surfing big waves and enjoying it, but... yeah. Um, so, I have a, a real keen interest in it. And I enjoy it. Like when I go and do these things, uh, working with scientists, you know, you're in bunk beds, you're washing dishes, you're not getting paid. It's it's like work on a <laughs>
0: boat for a long period of time. Yeah, or, and yeah. in
1: the water, like pounding, diving, really, you know, eight hour days. Wow. Um, so it's uh, it's it's a passion, and um, I I just wanted to see what kind of um, tools that I have, kind of in my kit that I can use to help realistically. And so I looked at it like, okay, I know animal behavior, I'm a good free diver, I know sharks well, I know how to use a spear gun r- really well, um, so how about we expedite the shark tagging process? Because you have some limitations on scuba, it's like, okay, you can't go up and down too quickly. Um you know, you have your decompression times in between dives. You can only do so many tanks to certain depths per day. And time is money on these things hmm. and opportunity because you're also dealing with weather windows. So the more you can maximize your time and get more tags out, the better data set you're going to get. And so through free diving, I'm actually able to approach at a, at a sharks that are a bit more wary. Okay. Because, see, like, tagging a, a great white shark or a big tiger shark is easy. Because they'll, they'll come in and you just bait them in. And they're a lot more confident around you because they're huge. Yeah. <laughs> and they're the apex predator. And they have thick skin. You're not going to injure them if, you're, if your tag's, like, six inches off. You can power up the spear gun that you're using for a tag if you're using one. Which, with more power, you're going to get more accuracy. Sure. So you can shoot it from further away. So it's that's easy. Like I don't need to be sent to go do those things. What really interests me are like the – I did the first ever pelagic thresher tagging, and that was in the Philippines. And they're very scarce animals. They don't come in for chum. We're um, actually uh, – I was waiting for them. They'd only show up before the sun came up, like when it's like gray light. You could barely see mm. And um, they'd come in between 80 and 100 feet On this reef drop-off they actually do circles To have these uh, cleaner wrasse fish That live in these different coral heads That they know and come back to um, Clean the parasites off of them So they're not motivated by feeding So it's kind of more random And it's got to dive deeper And they're they're not They got their big thresher tail Which is really interesting And they're cool-looking animals But they're not They don't want to come close to you Right. So it's very challenging from a you know perspective of approaching them close enough to get a tag. And they're also a lot more sensitive. Their skin's not super tough and and super thick. They're you know besides their super long tail, they're probably like five, maybe six feet. So you're looking at a target area at the base of the dorsal is actually really small, mm-hmm. and you have to power the gun down because you don't want to injure them. So I got to get really close, wow. and all those challenges, and then. Another one I did was the first tagging project ever in Japan, which is surprising because the Japanese are so up-to-date on technology, right? Yeah. You would think. Sure. And um, that's with uh, Scalloped Hammerheads. And it's a similar situation to where they're congregating for reasons debated um, at this site called uh, Mikimoto. Um, of not, it's about three-and-a-half-hour bus ride from Tokyo, which is surprising. It's teeming with life. And uh, they congregate there usually when the currents are really strong. You know, working in like three to four knot currents, and uh, they're not responding to bait. Hmm. You know, so you can't chum them up. They're coming to do. They're coming together socially. So you got to go find them. And the thing is, is you can't really approach them from the bottom. They get really sensitive. So if you're on scuba laying on the bottom, you're like, okay, here they come, with those bubbles coming past their head can't ever get an angle to sink that tag at the base of their dorsal fins. So you kind of got to be dropping in on them at a 45-degree angle kind of over their tail, but a little cocked to their side. And, um, yeah, that was super challenging diving.
0: No kidding, man. Wow. (laughs) So do you ever think – I mean, you could always go back to school if you wanted to. You know, you can make a Mm. full career out of it from that angle. Is that ever an option or – um, no,
1: not really okay. I don't like sitting down too long um, <laughs> But but my goal with all of this Is to uh, To really, if I can You know, in a humble way Connect the two worlds Of, you know, recreational or commercial Fishermen yeah, Spear fishermen With a scientific community mm-hmm. Because there's there can be quite a bit of a divide It's yeah. like two party politics You know, we get caught up in this like it goes from what's best for everybody to I just want to win the argument, mm. you know. So, you know, you have these two different sides. You have the, you know, some some sides on one end are like, I don't want any rules. I want to do whatever I, want, I can. I want to exploit. But especially in the recreational area, there's a lot more people that probably care about it more than anybody else. And I think their voices get buried a lot of times. And then there's great scientists doing really good work, but then on the other end, a lot of scientists work off grants. So sometimes some scientists have to change their motives to kind of fit into the grant. You know, oh, this elderly billionaire lady really likes otters, so I'm going to get my research funded and. Skew my research a little, or point in the direction of closing off, like the whole coast of Southern California to recreational fishing. Right. So why would these guys who are spending more time and more knowledgeable on a first-hand basis going to want to give information to a scientist that's going to use it to shut them out of what they love doing? Yeah. To make a name for himself. So right. so it's I'm trying to be a connector to link up people with good motives that are really talented. Because we're working on borrowed time already and we can't keep messing around with this bullshit of he said, she said.
0: Right. Yeah, the (laughs) politics, the red tape. Yeah, uh, exactly. You're awkward. see. Well, I think that's kind of a nice transition actually into the subject of just making a living in the surf business, making Mm -hmm. a living in general. And that's kind of a, a subject that comes up in this show a lot with everybody that we talk to. Traditionally, to make a living as a pro surfer, there's kind of two models. There is the contest surfer, and then there's the free surfer. And I feel like that free surfer category has actually been divided into a lot of different Mm -hmm. ways in the last decade more than it was previously, where there's big wave free surfers, there's air guys, there's watermen, which I think is probably a category that you would fall into. I don't think this was my first exposure to you, and I looked on YouTube for this footage, and I couldn't find it anywhere, but were you in an MTV True Life episode? Yeah, a
1: while ago. You
0: were, right? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it was maybe before Quicksilver, because like, the yep. storyline was like, you trying to make ends meet by like yeah. doing the Triple Crown came around. No,
1: it could have still went out <laughs> when I was on Quicksilver. <laughs> you know, I lived off of $500 a month period for three years.
0: No. Way yeah.
1: on the North Shore, on the North Shore, side jobs, whatever. At what age? So, there was 9 11 happened, the economy went to crap. Um, did you have a main sponsor? I did, like, I was with Rusty it? forever. That's right, okay, yeah. And they kind of got me good. Yeah. <laughs> the marketing director, some guy who came from Disney came in and just, you know, wasn't that honest and it got me good and at a late point. And so see this is a this is the deal. And this is kind of like honestly, it's it's a move that almost every surf company uses. And I always try to warn my friends. So what they'll do is as it comes like you're like, Alright, deals coming up, we need to start talking about it at least in August because you know the budgets always come in late they usually come in around like October um, November even sometimes so you're like okay we got to get the conversation started and they're like okay yeah we're interested blah, blah blah and um then they'll go dark on you for like the last two and a half months of the year and so they'll sit give you interest so you don't go and look around cuz they know they basically got you by the short and curlies as soon as it gets that that last, so there's a holiday week where nobody's in the office at the end of December. So if you haven't had a com- comparable offer by middle of December, they know that already. What happens is they don't get back to you till because those other offers, that budget money would have disappeared. They got to use it sure. before it disappears. And then you know January 5th when they get back in the office, they're like, oh yeah, about what we told you, it's going to be half. They all do that to surfers, yeah. so it's a, it's a minefield for a professional surfer, sure. aspiring one. So that kind of happened to me there. And so, okay, it's already into the next year. All budgets are gone. Um, you don't want to go just if you're smart about your career. You don't want to just go and take money from anybody. You know, you look towards a long-term goal and what really yeah. fits with you. So I ended up going, but I still had Reef. They were great. They stuck to me. So. The, I was making 500 a month for them, so I did that whole year. And then I got picked up by Quicksilver for f- 500 a month, but they told me I had to drop Reef. Oh, no. <laughs> so I was back to making only 500 a month, and I had to cut ties with a company that really stuck by me, which I felt terrible about, but sure. I had to like look at the future of it.
0: And then, yeah, I was at that rate for two years. And so was that like late teens, early 20s? That was early 20s. Okay. teens. So... Yeah, that True Life MTV episode—it was like living from contest to contest, essentially. Then the Quicksilver came along, you know, and then yep. that went away. Obviously, at between two thousand one, nine eleven, and then financial crash in two thousand eight, probably had a few good years there. But at two thousand eight, the Quicksil- Quicksilver had this huge culling, yep. where they got rid of pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember you had you were on Depactus for a short period when they were around for a short period and i was glad to see that happen and i actually really was impressed with like their branding and what they were potentially going to do you know and so mm-hmm. it was sad to see that disappear as well but it's like you're a guy who you've had great potential you've had um mm-hmm. in terms of surfing ability and uh exposure and all that like you are out there it's just kind of got a deal with the wrong company at the wrong time with the in economy doing what it's done so I feel like you're a great guy to have the conversation with which is just like how do you make a living as a pro surfer nowadays you know
1: uh, so like how you were talking about earlier there's the free surfer kind of niche that, yeah and you know that's been subdivided into big wave surfer or whatever guy or, or whatever right but what you have to keep in mind is that free surf pie of money is probably a third of what it once was and it's got more different niches in it I agree. And um, there's
0: maybe only one or two guys at the top of that pie. And like there's no middle There's, there's not there's, a, few there's not a guys.
1: lot of middle class and it's it's only going to this trend is only going to continue for sure. I agree. I'd say 100%. There's like no middle class. It's but like, then also like a lot of the See see this is what's changed a lot. Surfers are now before it was like, you remember all that stuff when outside brands were coming in and trying to sponsor WSL con- or ASP contests at the time, and yeah surf companies get super up in arms, they're like, "No, you can't have an outsider." or somebody even like Nike comes in and like, you know, the, the surf media and surfers kind of jump all over them, like, "You guys aren't surfing, you know you're coming from the outside. I think the tables have totally turned, or the tides have totally turned. In that now surfers go and buy non surfing stuff.
0: They do totally,
1: and nobody's wearing head to toe Billabong or whatever it is. It's it's you know people you're going to see a surfer go buy a pair of Carhartt pants and maybe a Lululemon shirt if they're you know over twenty five years old and have some cash. Right. Uh, so I think those days are over. I think the surf industry got really cocky with how easy money was in the nineties mm-hmm. and they kept repeating the same things that they could pull off then as the economy got tough and finally realized a little late that they got too big and too spread out.
0: They, got, um, they grew a lot in that period of time. Yeah.
1: And, and it's crazy watching so many different companies. Like you have to be, really be careful about fast growth. It's a killer.
0: Oh, yeah, completely.
1: <laughs> um, but it's been interesting. And so that's why, um, spent a lot of time and and effort to to really put together like the people i'm working with now and um in being in that in line with the different companies that i'm kind of starting right now and in line with what i want to do you know it's like i've done the traditional surf surf media and surf you know professional surf and free surfer thing long enough like i don't I don't need to do it anymore. It's been great. I'm super thankful and I owe the surf industry a ton. But um, you know, you gotta you gotta do things that are meaningful. Yeah and work on projects that are meaningful. Sure. And um so I've just done a a lot in uh, redirecting and making sure all the brands that I'm working with are kind of heading in the same direction that I wanna go. Yeah. And so I just kinda did a whole Revamp
0: of of things lately. So let's talk about that. Um, who are you working with, and or maybe just start with how do you make a living as a pro surfer nowadays? And
1: yeah, well, um, the foundation is you can't just. There's only a handful of people that can go and just surf. Like you got to be creating content. You got to yeah. be bringing something to the brand besides just going out and being awesome. Right. <laughs> um. So. And you have to have your own brand at the same time, which is, I I hate saying that just because it sounds so like soulless and terrible (laughs) that you're a brand. But I mean, as far as your social media and everything, you have to be bringing something to the table that they can piggyback on. Yep. Um, So I would say more than anything, um, a lot of my stuff is just content production and working with like my brands and in a lot of consulting in ways like sure. whether it's, um, doing, um, design work, working with a design team, um, doing those like two big film trips a year for, um, their content and their photos and helping them like, okay, we have, I have idea, ABC and D, do they work? I can connect you guys and with any kind of crew to fill these positions to make it the best it can be your sure. work with storyline narrative. Um, and uh, also, give them a mutual benefit of interfacing them with some of my other uh, uh, businesses that I'm working with, right. or like charitable or positive causes. Yeah. So it's it's super undefined.
0: Sure. Now, honestly,
1: yeah. and that's the only way you'll you'll make a living right now is mm-hmm. to be undefined and kind of move like water. You know, yeah, I totally Bruce Lee style.
0: <laughs> I totally agree. Let's talk about. Um, you're involved. Like, what? What are the companies that you're involved in, and what is Surf Shop Box? Let's mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit. Okay.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, the companies that I I've, I've started or, or am involved with involved with not just sponsored by right. is, um, The main one that I've been working on the last few years is uh, Healy Healy Water Ops mm-hmm. or Healy Water Operations is the full name, and so I do um, basically make. Very high end, bespoke, customized adventures in, on, under the ocean, anywhere on the planet for very high end clientele. So they come to me, they're like, hey, we, we want a yacht, or our yacht's gonna be here, or we wanna do something in the Indian Ocean, and we're gonna have X amount of people. Some guests are gonna fly in at a certain time on the heli, bought this, that, and the other. Um, I'm like, okay. Do you want the best kite surfer in the world teaching you? Do you want to do, um, you know, survival day on an island, learn (laughs) survival skills? Or do you want to just relax and we set up a safety team because you want your children safe around the ocean or you want to be safe? Do you want a submarine? Like, wow. Anything.
0: Yeah. And that's been super, super exciting. Are there a lot of other brands in that space doing that? There is in bits and pieces. Okay.
1: Not a lot. Yeah. They will be coming, though. Sure. But I'm already a few years ahead.
0: So yeah, I'm and very- you're stoked. <laughs> and your qualifications, you know, speak for themselves.
1: Yeah, and, so. and I think, you know, you pay people what they're worth and you treat them well with yeah. dignity. Absolutely. And when you have where a lot of them are, you know, some of them are coming from, which is a, a sponsorship platform, that's really a breath of fresh air.
0: Yeah, I, I <laughs> could see that. And you get a lot of loyalty. Yeah, I can imagine. Um yeah, well I was sad to see your Instagram handle change. I know, I had to grow up. It was a
1: gem. Yeah,
0: I had to Donkey grow up, Show doesn't go over well with like the, the Billionaires Club. Oh,
1: yeah, it just yeah. I had to put my big kid hat on. I I didn't even I started Instagram I I wanted to have like a somewhat anonymous account that I didn't have any professional liability attached to because yeah. I didn't think it was going to become a big thing. It was like we were sitting at a dinner, and it was Shelby Mead, who's, who's Kelly's publicist. She's like, you've got to get on this Instagram thing. You're not on it. You're blowing it. I'm like, okay, can you set it up for me? I threw her in my phone. And then uh, I remember we were talking. Chris Christensen, he made up some, some tequila cocktail, and he called it the donkey show. I was like, I wonder if donkey show is available
0: it was and that's how it happened you probably could have sold the name i still got it (laughs) it? yeah (laughs) amazing um yeah it's funny none of us could have imagined what instagram would become you know and yeah and yeah at any rate what's tell me about surf shop
1: box so surf shop box is something that's been really exciting and like has blown up really rapidly like it it's like somebody threw a bunch of gasoline on a bonfire. Um, so it's a subscription-based model. Um, so you become a member. You get a surprise box of gear that's worth at least $100 retail, and you pay under 50 bucks for it. And it shows up at your doorstep every month. And it's surf and water culture gear and, and just everything that will interest our... Our are uh, um water enthusiasts. Yeah, exactly. Water enthusiasts, whether it's just something somebody who lives in Lake Tahoe and likes to stand up paddle just in the summer all the way to the hardcore surfer. So we're we're I'm really trying to curate and and the team is trying to curate items that can speak to everybody. Right. And um Kevin Teague, um who is the really the, the main brains behind this whole thing, came up with this idea and he approached me and um I thought it, it sounded amazing. Yeah and I learned through the process of... I, I always have some kind of other pursuits that I'm always learning. Mm-hmm. Like, whether it's skydiving or archery and uh, just different things like that, snowboarding. So I know... I'm constantly in the state of knowing what it's like, for lack of a better term, a newbie. Yeah. And you're, like, calling friends, like, should I get this? Or is this, like, too much for my skill level right now and overpriced? Or, like, I'm going to probably beat up whatever i get more now because i'm a kook right <laughs> or or whatever it is so it's i'm i'm in these other categories i'm always trying to search out these happy balanced things it's like not too expensive gonna last and and really works with a wide range of ability mm-hmm. and so i try to take that mindset into what we curate with the surf shop box mm-hmm. and it's our our um members have just been very very positive about it it's been growing really fast
0: it really dovetails nicely with the Healy Water Ops thing which is you're doing these adventures at locations with a small group of people but it's also this is the gear that that group would be using at some point or another you know but yep. bringing it sending it to people individually rather than exactly and it's like it's and
1: it's putting together different items that are just plain interesting yeah like that that our members would just never see coming and it's working whether it's going out and finding a really good sunscreen brand and putting something like that in there as one of the usually we have three items yeah or more um including deals that are only go out to our members that we um negotiate uh, with the with the different brands that want to work with us um and so there's usually a big item, a supporting item, then kind of a satellite item, mm, mm-hmm. and then deals on top of it. Yeah, and and member-only content like prints and yeah t-shirts that are just one-off runs for our members. So it's, we really try to do like unique and special things that they're going to value.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Um, so I want to talk about surf film. You were talking about creating content is a big part of being a pro surfer now and a mm-hmm. part of what you're doing. Surfing magazine is no longer in print and they've transitioned their social media account to something called at surfer films. And mm-hmm. they had a hundred or they had a 1.2 million followers. So obviously they just take those people and funnel, funnel, them to the new thing. And this surfer films is basically a sister account to surfer magazine. And it looks like they're just hoping to be like the go-to place for surf films on the internet is mm-hmm. what it looks like. Uh, But as they announced their launch yesterday on social media, one of the comments that they made was like, if you surf, you probably got into it because of some surf film. You probably watched surfing at some point Mm -hmm. and decided to give it a shot. And I was just thinking like how much the medium has changed from Mm -hmm. the endless summer being toured in high school auditoriums to now watching Albie Layers double alley-oop. On an Instagram, you yeah. know, uh, it's just, it's an entirely different medium. I'm wondering what your perspective is on the medium of surf film. I think it has more importance than ever, but at the same time, it's just changed, you know? So mm-hmm. like, whose clips do you look forward to watching? Who do you, what do you look forward to? Uh, more
1: than anything, I love Mason Ho's clips. Do you? He's like the most entertaining surfer on the
0: planet. Yeah. You know? um, it's so true. He, they're awesome uh, Surfing and being interviewed Like he's just classic <laughs> exactly. across the board And he's a good
1: guy I've known him his entire life And uh, yeah he's. It, I just really like his approach It's He's not trying to impress anybody He's just You know you can see It's kind of like music I've always said that there's a difference, man. You can tell when somebody's putting their, their heart behind something. Yeah. Even if you don't even see them perform or whatever it's, just, and it could be any genre. It's like yeah. a guy could be ripping on a sitar or something. Yeah. It's, and true. it's like, I, there's something different about this. There's a little more drive behind it. Um, and I think it's the same watching people surf, you know, it's like guys like Andy really had that, you know, and it, I think Mason really has that and watching Dane and, uh, Shane Dorian and big waves,
0: the list goes on and on. But um, yeah, I just like watching people who it's coming from the heart. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply In, i i totally agree and i think um the sincerity like you nailed it the sincerity is what is entertaining to us you know it's undeniable well it gets me excited
1: because yeah like so i'm not just going out on a typical day at rocky point like i don't get paid to go surf rocky point yeah. nobody yeah. <laughs> gives a gives a damn but um, you know, you still have it ingrained coming up from professional surfing, doing a bunch of contests when you're a kid. You're like, God, I blew that turn. I dug a rail. So yeah, I've always surfed better when I'm just like kind of being like doing my thing, or at least had a ton more fun. Yeah. So I'd say that watching people do that gets me excited to go go and do it myself, even if the waves are two feet.
0: Yeah, I agree. What I'm curious what your um. What your thoughts are on like the medium of like a feature <laughs> format, like um, you know John John's three million dollar budget film, or I don't know? Did you see Ian Walsh's Distance, yeah. Be- Distance Between Dreams? Like, what are, what are the relevance of those things nowadays, and what influence do they have? Do they have as much of an impact as things did back when we were spending thirty bucks per VHS? You know, I mean, I For, think I think they do. Okay,
1: I mean. Um, for you, you, from a blue moon, from you know, I think that is it's gotten surfing into places in youth culture that it had it permeated onto like that mainstream quite a bit. Also, from what I hear, that's it's already been pretty darn profitable, too. Oh, really? Usually, okay. when uh big features like that, um, and that was unprecedented, unprecedented as far as how big the budget was for surfing, I believe. Um, usually they're a lost leader. Right, they're not expected to to make money, and I think Hurley's actually doing well with it.
0: Well, they're expected to lose money, and often in the last five years or so, they're just given away. They don't even yeah. charge for them. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a marketing tool. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah, yeah, and it's I I want to work on stuff like that. I was going to ask valued. you. Yeah, I'd rather do that than. I mean, there's something that I realized in my surf career. Which it you know, there's always the risk of sounding like a whiny professional surfer. Like I will say it is the best racket on, on earth. Sure. It's great. You know, I'm not whining about it. I'm very, very blessed to have it and and have all the opportunities that have been afforded to me through it. But especially if you're whether you're a contest surfer or free surfer, you get this like unending pressure to be like, Oh I I have to get the best way of a pipeline this day or right. I'm going to get dropped. Or I have to get this page in a magazine, which is – that's obsolete now. You're right. Uh right. And it's just one thing after another. and But it opens so many doors and you get to see the planet and you get to meet so many awesome people. But at a certain point of doing that, you're like, wow, last thing I want to do is like – I always wanted to keep in mind of am doing things that are meaningful to myself and meaningful and helpful for everybody else. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to look back and be like, wow, the last 10 years – I spent a good chunk of my, my free life just worrying about what was the next magazine, the next swell, got to be the guy when I could have been out like saving lives or helping yeah. people or doing something more meaningful. Like, and you just don't want to get stuck in that routine. And then, then your mind goes to, well, if I'm going to do more things in this space, I want to do it big and I want it to be valuable. I want it to be more inspiring than just like, you know, chewing gum clips.
0: Well, do you have any big projects in the works? Any big film projects or opportunities?
1: Yeah, there's um, one that's just been in, that's in the funding phase right now, which would be uh, pretty amazing if it goes. And it'd be a big wave film called Rising Atlas. And uh, that would be, you know, proper big budget.
0: And what's your involvement in it?
1: Uh, I would be one of the Profiles of the Characters in this thing But uh, Is it like a documentary? Um In a way It, it would be um, uh, As of now It would be a brain farm
0: project Oh Same nice did Travis's stuff And everything Fantastic Yeah Very cool Um What was the last Surf film that you actually Paid to watch? View from a Blue Moon Okay That was the last one <clears throat> Cause I I don't know what my answer is to that, you know, and like, I want to support the surf community, but as I, and I love the medium too. Like I was, I'd save, like I said, every 30 bucks I could to go buy Mm -hmm. VHSs when I was a kid. But, um, but, and, and I have to honestly say, and like
1: half of that is me just studying too. Like, okay, this is what they did. That was a cool shot. Really? (laughs) You know, like there's just so you're inundated with content. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, but, but I think, uh, this whole like inundation and the short attention spans that have spawned from it. Um, I think it's going to bring the best creatively out of people. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I agree. It's going to take a lot more to stand out of the crowd.
0: Yeah. Did you see, let's be Frank. I have
1: That was awesome You did Yeah okay, cool. I saw it See I didn't buy it Because I got to see it When they were um, Streaming it on Red Bull TV
0: And they are again
1: I thought that was great Yeah I thought yeah. so too Yeah Mark. I love Frankie Dude I've known him For, for every reason He's a classic. Dude.
0: Well, like you're saying, it's going to bring, bring the best out of people creatively. Mm-hmm. That was the most creative surf film I've ever seen in terms of blending narrative and action mm-hmm. with actually a true storyline of him going to Mexico and going to Hawaii. And like it mm-hmm. is following his travels. The narrative is then, of course, skewed into fiction. Mm-hmm. But um, they did a phenomenal job on elevating the art form. Oh,
1: absolutely! I was so happy to see that. Yeah, I think there needs to be more disruptive things in surfing. It's you know, it's a bless. It's great to see, and it's also scary. It's so intimidating. Like, well, just like you know, WSL is doing really. You know, they seem to be really stepping up their game. But then it's like people are getting fined for saying things, and like, you gotta wear the same. I don't know. Yeah, it's like. I I like it, but a part of me is like, oh, this is kind of scary at the same time.
0: Yeah. Well, so speaking of Red Bull, um, I think they've they've uh walked that line really they've walked the fine line really well. Like mm-hmm. they have really slick, amazing production, like when they did the Cape Fear event and the mm-hmm. um they didn't do the Jaws event, they did something else recently. Oh, I can't even remember what it was, but it was like they're doing these live streaming events, but mm-hmm. the production is just as slick as WSL, but they don't have the same kind of buttoned up mentality yeah. that the WSL has. Well, that's the really
1: interesting thing, though, right, is because the WSL has done that before, too, with a big cloudbreak Fiji swell.
0: Um, oh, that's right, where they just they called off the comp, but yeah Le- well
1: and then there's the other big swell and they live streamed it as well that was last year okay and because say the comp was going to be later and they're already getting infrastructure there so they're like okay we're going to live stream the well right and rebel's doing it too but then it's like what do the surfers do When, which it, it's great and all but so this has happened to me five times over the last year you go out you surf and have an amazing time. You know, it's death to find like crazy stuff goes down. Like mm-hmm. we have to do CPR on somebody and one of them. And then you go in and they put a five page waiver in front of your face and ask you to sign it
0: because you were on their live stream because
1: yeah. Yeah. And they want to use it later. And you're like, so I owe it to you to be able and you're not going to compensate. You're not going <laughs> to like help pay for my board bag fees coming over. So there's going to be, it's kind of wild west with the live yeah. stream, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, I think it's the future, but there's going to have to be a lot of things put in place to where, you know, yeah. people are on the up and up, I think.
0: I, I don't know. You know, I agree with you. That's murky water that they're going to have to navigate. But I always wonder when I watch, like, like I was walking past a building the other day and um, Julia Roberts' face was on the side as she's... The face of Lancome mm-hmm. You know the makeup brand And I'm like obviously they're paying her to use her image But if she walks out of LAX TMZ can put cameras in her face And then put her image on their show at night And they're earning money off of her image Exactly By And so I wonder like how how does TMZ get away with that She didn't sign a form If you're you know in public I
1: mean? If you're in a public place
0: Right so that that's might in America,
1: It's different in different Is countries it? Okay
0: yeah. But I mean, there is some weird legal loopholes, though, that people can use to use other people's likenesses, you know? Yeah, probably. Um,
1: and it's just, again, it's like, eh, who knows what the legal side of that is? Yeah. But uh, it'll just be interesting if uh, people try to do things the right way or not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You really hope so. Yeah, you really hope so, and I and I think they they've been trying to. It's just
0: new. Exactly, it, it's new ground. I'm not saying it's it's so new. Like yeah. I, I will say, with the WSL um, in the last couple of years, I feel like they are trying to do what's best for the athletes, for the viewers, for everybody. Mm. And there may be missteps along the way, like handing you that waiver. But they they are trying to do what's best. They
1: they are trying, and and that's the thing is that I've been in the position for a while of Of being somewhat of a go between and kind of helping represent the surfers side of it, and um, you know and there 's two sides to every story so yeah of course if it, a lot of surfers don 't understand the business side and the liability side and the kind of hurdles that a, a, a company that 's trying to promote the sport to make a profit has to have so. You know, it, it, like I was talking about with the with the spear fishermen and the scientists. Yeah, you gotta you gotta meet in the middle. You can't mm-hmm. just bicker and be unwilling to listen to both sides of the story.
0: Um, transitioning into big wave surfing and the experience that you talked about, where they either run the contest or they stream mm-hmm. the free surf. I love surfing and. I want to watch surfing and I want to support surfing, but big wave surfing for me has been something that's been really challenging to watch (laughs) the contests because it's so boring. You know, like there's long lulls. lulls. And I think it's something that the WSL or whomever has difficulty promoting because they have to call on the event with like 72 hours notice. They can't. Mm -hmm. Whereas like the Gold Coast Quicksilver Pro event, we have scheduled out a year in advance and we Mm -hmm. know when that window is. The big wave events they have to call on at the last minute. Although on the flip side of the equation, I think it has wider appeal to the public than any other facet of surfing because a non-surfer can appreciate a guy on a 60-foot wave more mm-hmm. than he can the nuance of Kelly Slater's top turn at Lowers, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like it has bigger appeal but bigger challenges at the same yeah. time.
1: Well, the, I don't think
0: those challenges are as
1: big. Okay. I've I've had this conversation with Paul Speaker before. And the thing is, is you have to okay the the big wave surfing thing when it when it's an event that's really cranking like the Jaws event or when the Eddie runs, it crushes all
0: viewership totally records. Th- those two examples, out. by the way, were phenomenal events,
1: right? Well, they had they Th- had this past year. professional webcast team, um, and but so this is what I was saying. I was I was telling them, like. W- why don't you do the due diligence of taking everybody that's on that tour and you go and film a piece on them, you know, in their home training, have people get to know them during all of these long lulls. Like UFC was like, you know, un- basically underground sport. If you were to watch it, I remember getting VHS UFC tapes from Cammy's back when it was around like yeah. Sunset Beach and, and watching it and just like, this will never catch on. I did the same thing. But you know what? They humanized it. So you have all this dead time to do storytelling during mm-hmm. these events, during these lulls. And the thing is, is you even look at Nazare. That was going to be a first of its kind event and everything. But it was like, like, oh, no, it, it, it's really going to be on. And it's just because of lack of resources put behind it. it you know, that webcast could have been a lot better camera. Yeah. Like, you got to go do your scout. You got to go pre-shoot your content. Yep. And, you know, maybe you can normalize and average out that viewership then from the Cracker Jaws events to the ones that are a little slower yeah. by having that interesting content. But it takes an investment. Of course. And I don't think it'll ever – I don't think it's going to catch on without it. And my my thing I always say in the meetings, I'm like, there's nothing that could be possibly worse for this tour than a bunch of guys with less technical ability on ten foot boards surfing twelve foot waves. Yeah, it's the worst thing ever for big wave surfing. Totally, and they don't want to do it. There's just there's a lot of challenges. It's like you got to crown a champion with more than one event, mm-hmm. you know, for people to take it seriously, and you got. So they're working and they're trying, but I really think it comes down to writing the check and doing the pre-production due diligence.
0: What do you think about the idea of including one of those big wave? Uh, events on the actual CT um,
1: for all the CT guys, yeah. Like, like I think uh, a lot of them won't want to do it if it's uh, like if you Nazare or something. Like people might could very well die.
0: Yeah. Is it that? Is the sport that much different to where it's different?
1: So uh, and there's great guys that can translate, but if you're going from your super everything that you do all year besides pipeline and maybe chopo is like riding super skatey boards way back on the tail and very high performance surfing. And you're trying to transition to not it at, at the shortest, probably a nine, eight, if it's a real event with yeah. proper surf. And it's just, it's a different way of riding.
0: It It is. But I just wonder conceptually or theoretically, like, we're looking for the best surfer in the world. That's what the world championship tour is. We're looking you know
1: I want to see it. I think yeah. it should
0: be. Like I would like Amen. to slowly transition over that over to that because twelve foot cloud break or let's say Chopu is entirely different than three foot snapper. Mm-hmm. So you can make the same argument there, you know, and they're yeah. going from riding a five eleven to a whatever. They're <laughs> riding at chopu Six three. Well, John John maybe but, is riding a six three there, but um you know, so I I just think like I would like to see that transition start to kind of happen. As a fan, I would definitely I'd, love it. To would see throw that. a spanner in the works, you know? Yeah. Like, why not? Yeah. Um, what are some ways that the WSL could make the big wave tour better for the surfer, for the contestant? Well,
1: a the prize money's got to re- be respectable. Okay. So you know, you go on, you know, you have something that. You know, breaks the internet like a jaws event, or and then it ends up on Sports Center, and you know Billy Kemper is holding up a, a he's in a bar holding up a small trophy and a check for like thirty thousand dollars. Right. Like people are like, what? "This ain't a sport." Right. This is like curling in the Olympics. Yeah. You know, it's when it. What is it? I think the big wave event prize money is. It was a fifth of what the women's events were. But it's just, it's disproportional, you right. know? And a lot of guys aren't, they don't have a lot of sponsors. They got a second job. They got maybe families. It's a different breed for the most part that's into big wave surfing. Right. And you can't, you know, when they're dropping everything last minute to go and jet lag and risk their life to help make you money, like, come on. And you got to gotta f- be compensated.
0: Yeah, to fly to Portugal on a couple days notice with all the equipment and stuff. It's, it's dangerous. Not, and it's not cheap. <laughs> no. For guys... With multiple jobs, you know, which
1: at least now I think what was it? It's like two and a, two grand, two and a half grand. You get it for for showing up, but that's not going to cover going to Portugal for no, me. No, so if they want like <clears throat> the best surfing, there has to be the resources behind it. But I understand it's a business too, and you know I don't know what the you know yeah. the balance sheet looks like on it. And
0: yeah, yeah, um, I've. <laughs> for a long time now, I've felt like the largest innovations that we're going to see in surfboard design will be in the realm of big wave paddle surfing. Um, and I also feel like the biggest changes in big wave surfing will happen because of some new board innovation, Mm -hmm. you know, those things kind of go together, but where do you see the biggest areas of improvement for board design and paddle and guns? That's an interesting one. Um, I'll explain to the listener real quick. Like, you need a lot of foam to paddle quickly. The waves are larger, so they're moving faster. So mm-hmm. you need these giant boards. But once you're up and riding on the giant board, it's a lot less maneuverable. So exactly. we saw we saw Kyle Lenny do an air this year. It's actually stomping air this year at Jaws. Toe surfing. But it was on a tow board, right? Yeah. And he was doing turns in the in the Jaws event. Actually, like kind of top yeah. turns. You know? Yeah, it's. So where are the biggest areas of innovation do you think for board design in paddle surfing?
1: biggest innovation it's yeah it's it's gonna we've we've tried so many different things that I feel like it's gonna have to be something somewhat radical <laughs> like yeah, at this point, almost like God it, it's so hard because you're you're really dealing with two completely different. <laughs> like, yeah, like you said, it's got a paddle, and then you know you have all that foam. So more foam is, especially when it's a skipping stone going at you know thirty-five knots. Yeah, it's hard to tip over and get on a rail and get that rail to bite, especially when you're hitting big old chops like you are, at Jaws. It, it wants to pop that rail back out of the water. What about um, the hydrofoil? The hydrofoil definitely. But it's gonna have to get into a place where it's gonna have to get into a place where it's gonna get a little safer to be in the zone. Yeah, you're not just gonna get like tomahawked by that thing every time you fall. I think. Yeah, the hydrofoil has a ton of promise. It really does a ton. I I'm I'm ordering one. I'm gonna. I was gonna, I actually meant to call Laird yesterday and ask him what. Line, if I could, he could line it up for me. It just yeah. looks so fun.
0: Yeah, it, it eliminates a lot of the design issues that you have with riding on the water surface. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like, you know, the boards that John John's riding at Pipe and mm-hmm. the, the places that he's taking off under the lip mm-hmm. and Chopu. And the how small the boards are that he's riding seemed unimaginable a couple of years ago, and I feel like we're gonna make somebody's gonna make that same transition in paddle and surf too.
1: No, it's the wave. Like everybody, I, I knew you could you at a certain point you wouldn't, especially on your backhand, wouldn't want to use something over like a six three at Chopo because you just fall under it. Yeah. Whereas, a, you can do that on waves with a very round barrel shape. Yeah. That just scoop. Whereas you got these big, raw, open ocean waves like jaws, you can't do that. The lip will beat you to the bottom. Right. It's, <laughs> that lip's covering a lot of ground. Yeah. And even with a big board sometimes, you see guys going straight on 20-footers and the lip's just there to meet them. Yep. So you can't – it's really hard to be under it. Like there's incredible room for, for progress on a lot of different levels. But these are the things that need to happen. You need the ultra talented person that's willing to take crazy amounts of risk. Mm-hmm. And the, the amount of risk to achieve these things is so great that your success ratio, if you're like, you know, a super freak like John John, are going to be maybe 50 50. And out of that, you know, you s- try four times, two times you're going to go down, and it's a 50 50 whether you're going to get hurt on one of those two times. Right. And if you're that much of a young talent, you get hurt, there goes a millions of dollars yeah so it's this you just need a freak that doesn't care and is willing to get
0: really hurt right yeah interesting um health and fitness has become a real essential component for the success of the peak performers in our sport whether they're the world champ or just the best aerialist you know Mm -hmm. um what's your you're obviously fit what's your health and fitness regime and routine look like
1: it it honestly varies. I just you know routines kind of like a cuss word for me. Is it? I know. Yeah, it's just you I live like, a nomadic
0: lifestyle. It would be do, hard yeah. to even
1: maintain a routine. I thrive in chaos. <laughs> um, but uh, it, so for me, it's like I've I've been doing that gymnastica natural, and you see like John John and D'Souza was doing it before with Kid Kid which has been great. i doing it with him for years. And, um, I
0: only see... I mean, I don't pay that close of attention, but I've only seen that on the North Shore. Are there other Gymnastica schools yeah, outside Al- of the Albro North Shore? who
1: started it, I believe he's out of San Diego now. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's spreading. And um, Can you explain what that is? So basically, it's a set of animal... Oh, it, it's a it's a mix between animal movements, almost like... Capoeira or breakdancing-esque and like some jiu-jitsu kind of like rolling so it's it's meant to keep flow through the exercise okay and there's no weights involved it it really incorporates breathing a lot so breathing correctly and getting your body to breathe efficiently while you're in movement and using strength but it's like all these strength and flexibility movements okay so for me my biggest challenge is always range of motion I'm I'm a beat up like guy at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, flexibility and range of motion is kind of like what I have to really do the most work at. I can get my cardio up in two days. Okay. You know, I can go on a promo tour where it's just been kind of, uh, uh, just living a somewhat unhealthy lifestyle for two weeks. And within two days, my cardio is back hundred percent okay. or strength comes back really easily. But it just seems for me with all those old injuries and stuff, flexibility and range of motion is what I really got to work at. Okay. And so this kind of hits all of those points. Okay. Um, And besides that, I'm I'm always free diving a ton. A lot more than I'm surfing, honestly. Um, And, uh, yeah, being in the water, surfing, and just whatever seems interesting to me that day, whether it's riding the bike up in the mountains above my house... Whether it's going on on a hunt, like so, you're hiking a long ways and you're dragging a lot of weight out. Um, if you're successful, <laughs> right? Uh, or just doing beach workouts, or you know, when I come here, I, I go train with Laird and, at Laird and Gabby's house with their XPT life stuff, um, and just try to keep it fun. So, are
0: you on the on Oahu? I'm on Oahu. I'm okay, North sure. Cool. Um, what what is your Diet look like My diet
1: is I eat. I try not to do You know sh- I, I try to veer away from sugars um, I eat As far as meats go I eat as much as I can uh, Either Meat that I've got myself So Quite a, My red meat Is mainly axis deer And that's coming from either Lanai or Maui Usually uh, Lots of fish That I go and spear um, and then for fruits and veggies, I try to keep it as local as possible. Um, and you know, my parents grow a lot of fruits and vegetables and I have a lot of friends and you trade and, and it's very nice living in Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> you can actually live that way for the most part. Pretty much the only time, you know, I'm, I'm buying like a main is if I'm going out to eat.
0: You're on the road so much. I would imagine that happens all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's just no choices at, at a certain point. Yeah. Sometimes you just gotta buckle down and yeah, choke down a frick, whatever you can find. But I take a lot of things like that's uh, what I was gonna ask progenics but... Yeah. So those supplements are awesome. Like I, I really need the meal replacement ones because I have a hard time like getting an appetite a lot of times. So mm. I can force myself. So if I'm on the road or on a plane and I don't want to eat some crappy food. I'll do um, the Progenics build, and then the recovery is huge for me. It's crazy because if you – since I do so many different like workouts, like mm-hmm. I'll hop into one that I ha- maybe I haven't done in a while just because I feel like it and I have a really bad habit of just going like 1,000% any time yeah. I do it. <laughs> And this is like to torture myself. Yeah. And then I just can't walk for like two days. Right. <laughs> but that recovery, man, it it keeps me from getting that lag where I'm just like not even capable of working out after I, I'm like not even sore after wow. blowing myself out. And then there's this other little like supplement that I've been using as meal replacement. It's called HANA. Okay. One H-A-N-A-H or H-A-N-N-A-H. Okay. And, um. It's just this this natural old Ayurvedic recipe, and it's kind of tastes like you know dumping grandma's entire spice cupboard in your mouth at once.
0: Sure, but it totally
1: works, works. and gets me
0: yeah. going. What in regard to health and fitness, do you have any meditative practice or anything other than kind of diet and exercise? Lots of breathing. Breathing is probably what I focus on the most. Okay, um, is there a method that you
1: study? Uh I just take everything from. Everywhere that I learn And that's what I've had to do From coming from a free dive world And learning about Surviving surfing Because there's No playbook for it And there's still No real playbook for it Right Um, And it's Yeah Taking things from yoga Because I do Practice yoga Quite a bit too So um, Taking things from yoga Taking things from Free diving Taking things from like the Wim Hof and the XPT life guys, and taking things from and I take all that and then apply
0: what I have my real world experience and I mm-hmm. tweak it to that. What's your breath holding rem- record or limit at this point? Um,
1: I think a couple of weeks ago or a, no, that would have been a couple of months ago by now. I did a six ten wow. static sitting around. I think I could hit seven if I get in the right state of mind. For sure. But um, that's, a, that's my
0: high point right now. Yeah, six minutes and ten seconds is a long time. Yeah, you're seeing stars. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the interest of time, I'll kind of go into closing questions. But are there any projects that you're currently working on that you want to talk about other than the Surf Shop Box and the Healy Water Ops? So it's going to be
1: really exciting. It's called Mentor. E-M-N-T-R. Okay. And uh, I was just on the phone uh, talking to uh, the founder and partner uh, about the launch is going to be the beginning of March. So basically, it's a platform to connect people with experts, right? So if you imagine the Uber concept, but to connect with skilled people in different areas, okay. and this is going to start with our, our focuses are surfing right now to get it off the ground. So basically, a curated group of reliable, skilled people. Um, so you can go on an app. Say, I'm going to Hawaii. I want a one-on-one class with somebody that's knowledgeable that can teach me and really create an experience. And you look and you know, say there's 20 different guys who's available these days. What are they rated? This is they've got customer and,
0: reviews on there and everything. Yeah, yeah. And
1: connect with them. And so it's it's in that area between, you know, a typical surf lesson experience and, like, Healy Water Ops okay. experiences that, you know, start at $50,000. Yeah. Um, so it's much more for the enthusiast. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be going off into snowboarding, mountain biking, and yoga and uh, branching out from there. Very So cool. it's super exciting. I think there's going to be a lot of demand. and I think so, too. And the, uh, Lenny is actually a partner in it as well. Okay. And, um, the, the real key to it is just that it's a very heavily curated and trustworthy people. Right. That are involved in this. So we, we really want to be, you know, the place to go to for, for trusted, amazing experiences. Yeah.
0: The mentors can't sign up themselves and create an account. They're all no. selected. Yes. Yeah. That's very cool um what was the last surf trip you took and what's the next surf trip on the books <laughs> see this <laughs> is how much my life has changed <laughs> so <laughs>
1: last surf trip i guess it was i had to go do meetings in san francisco and mavericks was breaking the next day so i canceled a couple other ones that's <laughs> and, nice and, and went from sf there's, there's been a couple,
0: bay. couple good days this yeah there's
1: right? there it was really pumping yeah not too long ago yeah. um Besides that, what was my last straight up surf trip? That's a great question. Um it's just been short ones for swallows. Yeah. Yeah, I hurt my back, was out for two months, and just really hungry to surf at home. Um do you have any surf trips lined up? I'm just playing it by ear. Cool. Right now. I don't I don't I think the the concept of, of, of booking surf trips in advance is like totally out of the question for me at this point. Yeah. Yeah, It's (laughs) like, I'd rather, I'd rather go to a place for three days, surf my brains out because I know it's going to be pumping. than show up with a bunch of buddies and you end
0: up, you know, drinking beers the whole time. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The final question I ask everybody on the show is just what was the last surfboard that you rode? Last
1: surfboard that I rode is a nine, eight, Heizel WRV Padillac Quad at Mavericks.
0: It's a big board. Yeah. Nobody's ever answered the question with that board before. <laughs> or <laughs> anything like it, entry. actually. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, well, right on. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. It. Gladly. There's sap in the trees if you tap them. There's blood on the seas
1: if you map them. Christian, if you see your papa, tell him I love him. He taught me to love in the wild and fight jungle
0: you, Mark, for taking time out of your busy, busy schedule to make this happen. Um, It was funny. After we shut the mics off, I was kind of sympathizing with Mark um, about not surfing as much as you would like to kind of at this stage in our lives. We were both born in 1981, so we're the same age. And, uh, you know, I asked him in this conversation, where was his last surf trip? Where's his next surf trip? And he struggled to even remember but he's busy traveling like he, he was snowboarding in British Columbia he was in Cabo but not surfing I was explaining that it's not that I struggle to find the motivation to go surfing it's just that I find gratification out of a lot of other areas in my life you know so surfing um, kind of get takes a back seat or at least it does when the conditions aren't optimal And he brought up an analogy, which it seemed like maybe he has thought of before and used before, but um, I found it to be really apt. And he was, what it was, was he was saying that surfing is kind of like family. When you're young, you rely on it heavily and you want it around all the time, or you kind of need it around all the time. But as you get older, you don't really need to see your family that often, and You know that they're still there, and you know that you love them and that they love you, and you can rely on them when you need to, but you don't need to see them regularly. You don't need to see them every day anyway. And uh, I thought that was so true, you know? So for what it's worth, I wish that we had the mics on when Mark delivered that, but I'll bring it to you here in the closing of the show. And of course, I'll also direct you to surfsplendorpodcast.com, where we have everything that Mark and I discussed in this episode, as well as photos and videos of Mark doing his thing. Super impressive um, surfer, but also hit the footage of him riding a great white and um, diving with sharks. is pretty remarkable stuff. And... His Instagram and website are Healy Water Ops, So dot com, and then of course at Healy Water Ops. Check him out. Give him a follow. Tell him what you thought about the show, and then uh, you know support the businesses that he supports that allow him to keep doing what he's doing. It's really cool that we have a really diverse set of professional surfers at this point in in the surf world in the surf industry. It's cool that companies are supporting guys that are doing something other than just winning contests and getting cover shots on magazines. So give them a follow and let them know what you think of this new media platform. All right. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. I'll be back next week to catch up with Scott Bass. Um, We had trouble getting together at the end of last. I just got back from Cuba last week. And so we were going to get together at the end of the week. Didn't work out. And then he flew out, um, Monday this week so we weren't able to connect again but we will definitely align next week it's already on the books so I'll explain my experience in Cuba then and we will get all caught up on everything that is relevant in surf news until then this is of course David Scales signing off and encouraging you to get back in the ocean get a couple waves and shred on